All right, so Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. We're going to be looking at a little section here today, verses 13 to 19. And in this series that I've entitled, When Jesus Calls, we've been looking at these various calls that that Jesus makes um, in the Gospel of Mark. And the real thing that we're seeing in all of this is we're seeing how he changed the people he interacts with. Because when Jesus comes through the world, and he comes and he's meeting with people and talking with people and interacting with people, what we see time and time again is that people are changed. They don't stay the same after they meet Jesus. It might be something as basic and fundamental as like their physical health, right? They may come to Jesus and all of a sudden they come broken and beat up and and have some sort of illness or disease, and Jesus heals them. So they're changed. Their life is changed. Other times, it's spiritual needs that they come to. They're, they're coming in fear or they're coming in sorrow. And by meeting with Jesus and talking with Jesus, they're changed. They're healed. They're transformed. And that's what we see here. We see that Jesus changed the people that he interacted with. If you've been reading along, at the beginning of the series, I gave you a little reading plan. So you could be reading through the Gospel of Mark all summer. Some of you are right up to speed on that. I know it. Others of you may have fallen a little behind. It's all right. You can still do it. There's still time. We've read through chapter 6. And what we've discovered as we've been reading through this is that Jesus would often invite them or call them to something that would transform their lives. Many times, Jesus' message to people was a challenge. It was something that he was calling them towards that they didn't naturally want to do. He would call them to repentance. He would call them to forgive their enemies. He would call them to even love their enemies. Things that weren't necessarily natural to them. He'd he'd call them to that thing. And that's what we're going to see here today. All right, so let's start here and read our section. It's in Mark chapter 3, starting there in verse 13. Here's what it says. And he went up on the mountain... And called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, And John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. All right. Now, after reading this little passage, you might think that the call I want us to look at today is the call to preach and cast out demons, right? Because that jumps out pretty clearly there. there. Jesus calls these 12 together and he says, you know, I want you guys to come around me. You're going to be with me and I'm going to send you out to preach and cast out demons. Whoa, that sounds exciting. That sounds powerful. That sounds, you know, they jump out clearly. And while that might be an important study, that's not what we're going to focus on here today, okay? So you can relax. (laughs) You're not going to go try to track down some demons this afternoon. That's not what we're going to focus on. Instead, what I want us to look at here is the very first part of verse 14. Read it there. It says, he appointed 12 so that they might 
be with him. That's the first part. The the first thing that he says, yeah, you're going to preach and cast out demons, but the first thing he says is, I'm appointing you so that you would just be with me. You'd just be with me. And and truthfully, Jesus had some pretty amazing plans for these apostles, the 12. Pretty amazing plans. Um, Things that they could not even begin to imagine at this point. 11 of the 12, you know, you might pull Judas out of that because his life was cut short. He didn't experience all these things, but even Judas experienced a lot of those things. They would experience awe-inspiring things. Some of the most incredible things that have happened in all of history happened in these guys' lives. They would walk the earth with Jesus, witnessing his teaching and his miracles, as well as witness his resurrection. These 12 were the ones that saw Jesus both crucified on the cross, but they also saw him resurrected from from the dead. They also saw the coming of the Holy Spirit in power on the day of Pentecost and the birth of the church. They saw what would happen when all of a sudden the good news would go out and thousands of people would come to the Lord and, and, and be saved. Not only that, not only did they see those things, but they also would go and do extraordinary things themselves. Jesus sent them out, as he said he would, to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. All sounds pretty exciting, right? Pretty great. But that wasn't the primary reason that Jesus called them. That wasn't the main point. First, Jesus called them to just be with him. It was a call to relationship, all right? And that's the call that we're going to look at here today, this call of Jesus to relationship. You've probably heard the statement that people are the product of their environment. Anybody heard that before? They say, yeah, you know, people, it's uh, the, the thing that, the, where they live, how they're raised, the, the, the surroundings, that really shapes people. They're, that's what makes them become who they are. Um, That idea that where they live, the culture they come from, the the background they grew up in, the political climate they grew up in, and various other factors deeply shape them as people. Uh, And you hear these kinds of things. I lived in Tennessee for six years of my life, but apparently I still have some like lingering accent pieces that sometimes people will say, oh, where are you from? Like, well, I, I did live, I've lived in the San Diego County for 30 plus years of my life, but I did live in Tennessee for six years. Ah, that's, I hear it. I, that's, I hear that word, you know. I don't know, but it's there. It shaped me in some, in some way, right? And to some degree, that whole statement that we're the product of our environment, that's true. We recognize those things. We know that we've been shaped by those kinds of things. But I would argue that people are actually to a greater degree the product of their relationships, okay? It's the people in those environments and the ideas that come from people in those that we're exposed to, the interactions and experiences of other human beings that deeply shape us. Yes, our environment plays a part in that, but don't you think it's people that have probably impacted you, both for the better and for the worst? When I look at my own life, I think that's actually the things that have shaped me even more than places I've been or lived and all that. It's the people. It's the people. I I think that's part of why the 
isolation and loneliness of the modern era that we live in right now is, is so damaging. You know, guys, your phone can't be your best friend. It can't. But that's what a lot of people have turned to. They're like, well, this entertains me. This informs me. This even talks back to me and listens when I'm talking, even when I don't want it to be listening when I'm talking, right? <laughs> um, so so it, it's, it's essentially a friend. It's essentially another person. It's my relationship. It's my buddy. But no, it, it can't be. But because relationships are so crucial in changing us, it's no surprise that Jesus then calls us to a relationship. It's not a surprise. And when Jesus called these 12 men, he called them by name. Now, we don't know exactly how long he'd taken to get to know each of these people. Um, in the past couple of weeks, we've seen Jesus call. We saw him call Matthew, the tax collector. The week before that, we saw him call Peter and Andrew and James and John to follow him. But this is kind of the, the, the formal gathering where he says, I'm going to appoint you guys as apostles. You've been following me for a while, and you people, he had relationships with each of these guys, and he says, you 12, I want you 12 to, to take this role that I'm creating for you. We don't know if there was, you know, an interview process. We just know that these were the guys that he wanted. And he had plans for what they would do in the future, but initially, what he tells them is I want you guys to be with me. I want you to live with me, walk with me, do what I do, go where I go. I want you to be with me, and I want to be with you. And when Jesus calls, he isn't just recruiting workers or hiring employees or gathering an entourage. Right? That's not why Jesus has called you. He hasn't called you just so we have lots of people around. And it somehow makes him famous. Or that he's just got so much work on his plate that he can't do it. So he's like, I need some assistance. I need to call some people. That's not his purpose. When Jesus calls, he calls because he wants a relationship with us. Okay? You get that? He wants a relationship with you. And that relationship doesn't have strings attached it's not because of what we can do. It's just because of who we are. We're just people. And he loves people. Now, as people that often define ourselves by what we do, this is sometimes hard for us because it's easy for us to want to think the same way about our Christian life um, as we do our regular life, right? We could say, I am a Christian because I blank, I go to church, because I pray every day, because I tithe, because I care for the homeless or those that are in need. I am a Christian because I do whatever it is that we do. I serve in a ministry. I read my Bible. Or we define it the other way by saying, well, I, I am a Christian because of what I don't do. As I've told you, some of you before, um, like what my, my grandpa used to say, what, what do we Christians do? We don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't chew, and we don't date the girls that do. <laughs> that was his thing. He's like, that's, that's how you can tell. All right? God, now I, I do want to say this, God does call us to do all sorts of things. He calls us to do things. The Bible specifically says we have a purpose. 
It says in Ephesians 2.10, many of you know this verse, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He has created us with something to do. He has all sorts of projects for us to do. But that's not what makes us a Christian. That's not what the purpose ultimately is. Because the Bible teaches us right here, in this section right here that we're looking at, that there's something that supersedes the work that we do for God. Something that comes before all those works. Something that that is prior to the, the things that we do for God. And that is our relationship with Him. The relationship comes first. God loves you not because of what you do for Him, but just because of who you are. This is really hard for us to grasp. Um, And I think the primary reason is because this isn't how we naturally love. You might think you do. You look at that statement and you're like, yeah, that's how I love people too. You know, it doesn't matter what they do, who they are, how they do it. I, I just love people. There's a couple of you that maybe that's almost true, right? But for most of us, that's not how we do it. That's not how I do it. I know it, and I recognize my shortcoming here in this. We tend to love others because of how they relate to us, all right? We ask the question, well, how do they respond to me? Do they laugh at my jokes? Do they, you know, interact with me in a, in a, a way that makes me feel good? What do they have that I need? That makes me want to love that person. Why is my life better because of them? So my point is, our love, even our love for others, tends to be pretty self-centered. That's a lot of times how we are as people, okay? But God's love isn't. His love doesn't function that way. And that's why it's hard for us to understand this. That's why it's hard for us to kind of believe that. When I tell you that God loves you not because of what you do, you're like, ah, there's no way. He, he, that, can't be, that can't be true because I know what I do. And if God loves me because of what I, I doesn't, it doesn't matter, then this, this is going to be really messy. This is going to be really hard. But God doesn't need anything from you. Did you know he doesn't need anything from you? He doesn't. You can't add anything to God. Like Dave was saying this morning, it's like we don't repeat these, these songs, the, the, the choruses of these songs to God so that he, we for sure he hears us. It's not like I missed the first five stanzas, but once you repeat it at number six, oh yeah, I'm on it now. Now I know that you really care about me. No, we can't add anything to God with worship. We can't add, we can't give God a good idea that he hadn't thought about. We don't have any excess power that he needs to borrow. There's, there's nothing that we can do that would somehow make him love us or not. He has everything. He's complete. And still, his love is selfless and it is pure. When Jesus appointed the 12, he didn't appoint them because of their skill sets or their resumes or their talents or their charisma He didn't appoint them because he saw like incredible potential in in each one of them or because they'd already been loyal to him previously. He called them just because he loved them. He loved them. And they were regular people like us. 
Jesus loves you because of who you are, not even who you one day might become. That's the other thing that's kind of hard for us, is I think that that motivates us sometimes as we think, well, you know, maybe I kind of squeaked into the kingdom of heaven, but I'm going to make him proud. One day I'm going to be like this, and then he'll have a real reason to love me. That's not the way it is. He already loves you. He already loves you. And the main thing that God wants from you is to be with you. It's the main thing. He loves plain old ordinary you. Even though we have these other things, the stuff, the rough edges, the parts of us that haven't been totally redeemed and healed and fixed, we still have brokenness. We still stumble into sin. We still have these issues. Even though he sees all that stuff, he looks past it and still wants to have a relationship with us. He would stop at nothing in order to do so, even coming and sacrificing himself for us. A very well-known passage, Romans 5.8, says that. It says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not once we got our junk together, Once we became members of the church, once we began ministering and serving in some other way, then he said, okay, well, I guess they earned it. I'm going to go and die for them. No. While we're still a broken mess, God came in Jesus Christ and died for us. Do you see how major this is? Do you understand how foundational this whole love of God thing is? And the relationship that he's calling us to, it's what every, everything starts from here. All right? I think one of the problems that I have with it is my own finiteness. The fact that I'm just a human being. When I think about this and I think about the love of God, I think, okay, I'm one person on a planet of eight billion. How is it that God, Almighty, can actually pay attention and want to love little old me. Does anybody else ever feel that way sometimes? You, you, you feel like you're kind of a speck in this universe. You're just a blip on the timeline of history. But God still wants to love each one of these 8 billion people. And, and he wants a close personal relationship with all of us. And it still wouldn't make a dent in his endless love. I can, you know, I can barely love 80 friends, right? Eight billion doesn't even phase him, all right? You have to understand that. It's the way it is. Now, I know that when we go through a series like this, and I'm talking about these different calls that that Jesus has, I know that for a fact, many of you have answered a lot of these calls, all right? And so as we go through this series and I talk about the call to follow Jesus, many of you have already done that. You do follow Jesus. You heard that call in your life. You said, yes, I want to follow you with my life. You've heard the call to surrender, and there's things you've had to lay down. You've heard that call toward healing. You've you've worked through all of those things. But don't forget that he's calling you to relationship. And here's one of the keys about all the calls that we're going to look at through this summer. Every one of these calls of Jesus is continuous. It's not a one-time thing. And I think that's part of the thing with the relationship thing that we need to remind ourselves of. It's not that God says, look, will you be in a relationship with me once? 
And we say, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And then it's done. And he's like, okay, great, see you in heaven. That's not the way it works. No relationship works that way. If my wife and I have been married for all um, 20, coming up on 23 years, okay? If I had, you know, shown up at the altar with my wife and said, hey, I'd like to marry you. And she's like, okay, yeah, I will too. And I just like, all right, that's it. We're committed. We're in a relationship now. That we're going to make this happen. And then I'm like, all right, see ya. And days, weeks, months, years go by. You know, once every decade we get back together and say, oh, hi, how you doing? Um, you know, uh, see you see in another 20. Right? That's not a relationship. There's something that, that goes on and on with, with a relationship. It's continuous. It's not a one-time event. But how then does this all practically work out? Because you're like, okay, Jesus has called me to a relationship. Well, what, what does that really look like? How am I supposed to answer that call and get to know him? Because here's the thing. It sure seems like it was a lot easier for those 12 than it is for us. Doesn't it? It had to be. To some degree, it was easier. They got to see him in the flesh every day. It's way easier to have a relationship with somebody that you see, that you can talk to. They, they got to look him in the face when he asked them, hey, will you become one of my apostles? They got to talk to him and ask him questions. What a privilege they had. But remember, Jesus was only on the earth for 33 years. And he was only with the 12 for three of those years. But here's the thing. God has other ways of letting you know him and build a relationship. Other ways. The natural world, the natural laws of science point to a creator. Romans 1.20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. What's it saying there? He's saying when you go out and you look around at the world around you, you see, man, this stuff was designed. This didn't happen by accident. There's a God, and he's a God who cares about beauty, and he, a God who cares about wonder and diversity and transforming things and changes and seasons and light and dark and subtleties and shades, and there's so much there in this God. Um, this past week, my family and I, I've got a chance to go out to the Arizona-Utah border and spend some time with some friends on a boat on Lake Powell, all right? And um, one of the things, the best way I can, the word that I use to describe this particular place, I was telling my family, is rugged. Lake Powell is rugged. It's a desert lake. But the other thing about it is it's just everything is so big. It's like grand scale, you're in a boat, and you're coming across the lake, and you're like, yeah, I can see that other shore over there. Let's go over there. And you start driving and driving and driving and driving. And you're like, are, you, are the engine's on, right? Like, we're moving in this direction, but it doesn't get any closer. And it's like minutes go turn to hours, and finally you've made it to this side. And that, this, this butte that's standing up that looked about this tall is now, like, massive in front of you. It's just big. And, and it's the same way at night. You, you, they have these things called stars out there, guys. You've got to go see them. All right? Um, there's a couple of them somewhere out here in the suburbs, I think. But when you go out there, it's like, oh, stars. Because you step out into the night sky and you look up and it's just stars. 
as far as you can see. And there's also something else I didn't realize until this trip. There's a whole lot of things, junk satellites and things floating through space now that's very different. When you look at the stars, you can actually watch these satellites crossing over. All, it's, 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 it's big. That's my point. It's big. There's a lot there. And when we're out in nature and we're seeing these things of life, these things all point to the existence of this big God, a designer of all things, a life giver. But that still doesn't really help you know him as a person. It helps you know some things about him. And you might get some some ideas that, well, he's probably like this, he's probably like that, but doesn't help you know him personally. And God doesn't just want us to know about how great and marvelous he is, which he is, but he wants us to know him as a person. He wants us to be with him. That was the call to the disciples. He didn't say, hey guys, come watch what I do. It's going to be amazing. You guys are going to be like my little peanut gallery that follows me around to watch all the amazing stuff I do. Oh, and someday a few of you need to write it down so everybody else knows. That wasn't it. That's not why he was calling him. He says, I want you to be with me. I want us to have a relationship. Jesus, fully God, came to be fully man to dwell with us, to be with us so that we might know him. And one of the ways we do know the Father is by looking at Jesus. One of the 12 um, in the Gospel of John, Philip, he once asked Jesus to show them the Father. He said, Jesus, it's amazing getting to know you. Know you. Will you let us see God the Father? And, and Jesus responded by saying, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And as we study the life of Jesus in the Bible, we're coming to know more about God. And here's the thing about relationships. I think one of the greatest myths um, about relationships is that they're easy. Anybody think relationships are easy? Well, if you do, you're wrong. (laughs) It's simply not true. Relationships are not easy. Every great relationship takes a great amount of effort. Every one of them. That marriage that you admire that looks so easy and so put together, so happy, it might be, but if it is, it didn't happen by accident. It didn't. That family that seems so connected and functional, it takes continuous work. That's the way it it is. That friendship that seems so affirming and, and so close required time and experience to shape it. And the same thing is true with your relationship with God. Human relationships take two willing parties. The great part about a relationship with God is that he's always willing and perfectly holds up his side of the relationship. So the question that some of you might ask is, all right, well, that sounds great. God wants to have a relationship with me. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some work. I see that. But how do I have a relationship with someone that I cannot see and cannot touch? How do I do that? How am I supposed to do this? Well, Jesus told us how it would happen. He tells us in John 16, 7. Here's what he said. He's talking to his followers. And he says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Hold on, Jesus. To our advantage, you go away. 
You told us you're calling us to a relationship that we're supposed to know you and be with you and follow you and see what you do and understand you and hear from you. And you're telling us that if you go away, it's better for us? How's that even possible? He goes on. And he says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What Jesus was saying is, look, it's actually better. I know that it's nice that you can see me and touch me and talk to me. That's all good. But it's actually going to be better for you if I leave. Because if I leave, I'm going to send my whole spirit into the world to flood the world. It's not just going to be me in one place at one time and you got to wait in line for 50 weeks to meet me for two seconds. Instead, I'm going to send my spirit to the entire world. He's no longer walking on earth in the flesh, but he is on the earth in his spirit. As we talked about last week, we're spiritual beings that have a soul. And spirit can connect with spirit. I know that's mysterious, but it's true. And it's through this spiritual connection that God still speaks to human beings. I know most of you have probably heard this or said this on your own. That you've heard, um, you know, that God talks. And for a lot of you, you're like, wait a minute, what is that like? I've had lots of people ask me that question. The, the question of, well, so what do you mean that you, God spoke this to you? You heard this. Is it like a little birdie in your ear? A little whisper, you know? It's like, oh, everybody quiet, quiet, quiet. God's talking. Hold on. Yeah, oh. That, okay, all right, I got it. Now, here we go. No, that's not what it's like. That's, that's not what it is. There's, there's a, a, a way to learn to hear the voice of God and to tune in and, and, and receive from God, but it's spirit speaking to spirit. And I know that seems kind of mysterious and vague to understand it, but it's true. This is how it, how it is. He speaks to human beings, and you can learn to hear his voice and recognize him. Jesus sent his spirit to dwell in our world, and he does. But when you become a Christian, something unique happens because the spirit is no longer just in the world. The spirit actually comes and indwells you. And his spirit now is bound with your spirit. And for the rest of your life, if you're a Christian, God will continue to form you and shape you as a new spiritual creation, a person who's sensitive to the voice of God a person who's being changed, a person who can be used by God to show his love and grace and goodness to the rest of the world. And when we cooperate with God in this process, we grow more quickly. This is where the spiritual practices come into play. Last summer, we did a whole series on spiritual practices, things like prayer and fasting and Bible study and meditation and worship and service and giving. All those things develop our spiritual lives in different ways and draw us into a deeper relationship with God. So, if you are the product of your relationships and you have a relationship with God, then you will be shaped by your relationship with Him. Do you see the logic of that? We've said before from the beginning, yeah, we're shaped by our environments, but we're also really shaped by the people. So if we're shaped by our relationships and we have a relationship with God, then we will be shaped by God. That's the transformation process. That's what what is taking place. And 
on the flip side of that, if there's no evidence in your life that you've been changed at all to be more like him, that none of his character is being developed in your life, then you should question your relationship with God. That's not something you hear a pastor say all the time. Question your relationship with God. <laughs> Some pastors, maybe they do it that way, right? But no, you should. Because if we're in relationship with God, we're going to be changed. We can't help it. God loves us exactly how he finds us, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. Our relationship with God, learning from him, leaning on him, asking him for guidance and direction and strength, living life with him, that transforms who we are. I'm thankful. I praise God that I'm not the same person today that I was 10 years ago or even five years ago. He's changing me. He's, he's making me better. Now, I know I've got a long way to go, but I'm grateful for where he's taken me. He's called me and he's called you to relationship. So what is my goal for you today as we finish? What's the goal of all this? Jesus is calling you to relationship. What's the goal? Well, I want you to be very clear that God is calling you, every one of you, to a deeper relationship with him. No matter where you find yourself, he's calling you deeper. He wants to be with you. The question is, will you respond to that call? And I know that might look a little different for every one of us because we're all at different places in that relationship. For me, um, one of the things that I've wanted to do for, for years is to take a couple of personal retreats each year where I just get away to be with God. Not vacation, not professional development, just time, just time with God. That might be a, more of a long-term goal for me, but maybe in the short term what I need to do in that as I've thought about this is maybe I need to schedule a four-hour block of time each month where I just go and get with God and no distractions. Maybe that's a small step for me. For you, it might be completely different. For you, uh, deepening your relationship with God might be something like committing to, to keep your Sunday mornings clear so that you gather in worship with the church each week. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's, oh, I want to do personal devotions. I want to read the Bible each day. Or I want to set aside some time to pray. I want to talk to God on a regular basis. Maybe it's just determining I'm really going to pursue this relationship. Yeah, I made that statement 12 years ago that I would follow Jesus with my life, but I really haven't done anything since. Maybe that's what you're being called to now begin to do. So as we respond this morning, have the band come on back up here. As we respond in, in worship, I want you to think about these things. Pray about these things. Ask yourself and ask God, what is my relationship like with you? And how can this relationship grow? Where do you want me to be with this? I want us to be people that answer Jesus' call to relationship. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. And I, I do pray, Lord, that you would give us clarity. Um, clarity with where this all fits. I do know that you desire to have a relationship with your creation, with your people. And Lord, I just pray that you would, you would help us grow in that relationship. I pray, Lord, that the call 
that we've studied here today and all these calls, Lord, would be very clear to each one of us. By your spirit, will you speak to our spirit? Lord, we want to be people that are responding to the calls that you have on our lives. And um, I know that sometimes takes courage and uh, it takes determination and, and willpower, all these different things, Lord. And so I just pray that you would give us all the things that we need to respond to your call. I know that you want to transform our lives. You want to change us. And it's always for our good and for your glory. And so, Lord, today, I pray that you would do that work among us, that you would work in transforming our lives, deepening our relationship with you. And through it, Lord, may we know you more and be filled with all the things that come from knowing you, the joy, the peace, the f- fulfillment, the, the so many things, the love overflowing in our hearts because we know you and because we're walking with you. Give us those things, Lord. Draw us to you and uh, confirm that call in our lives. It's in Jesus' name, amen.